0: I have a friend a while back worked for a really big company on Long Island and uh, as he was working one day he started kind of crunching some numbers and he was trying to figure something out and something wasn't quite standing out right to him and so he, he kept digging and looking further into it and eventually he realized that his company was about to make a financial decision that would have cost them millions of dollars and so he kept digging and he kind of had the guts to speak up and so at the next meeting he he got you know got it all out there on the table and they talked through it and and so they like wow you dude you just saved us millions of dollars and and so he kind of got the pat on the back there and then in the in the next few days he started to hear that that they were going to reward him somehow and so he's thinking well I mean this could be cool I mean maybe it's like you know a big bonus or maybe it's like a a trip a vacation or something like that and so he walks in and he's ready, and he's expecting, he's excited, because, you know, he worked hard, and he saved the company all this money, and they gave him an umbrella for all of that. They gave him an umbrella, shook his hand, and he walked out of there so incredibly disappointed and frustrated, and you know what? I think sometimes that's a little bit of a picture of us. Sometimes I think as we look at salvation, right, here God has done all this amazing stuff. I mean, my friend, did all these incredible things, worked his, his tail off so that he could save this company, all this money, and it was just kind of like, yeah, thanks. And I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we kind of we look and we, we go, all right, all right, well, well thanks. Yeah, that, that's, it's cool that I prayed that prayer that one day and I got saved. And we kind of think of it like that's all that went into it. And just like my friend, he didn't just like walk into the board meeting that day and say, you know what, we got an issue here, we got to talk. I mean, this is all this time and energy that he spent in figuring out there was a problem, figuring out a solution and how to save the company this money. And in the same way, God has done all these incredible things in the backstory of our lives to actually bring us to the point where we believe in him. You know, it's not just that one day you were sitting in Sunday school or you're hanging out with your friend talking and suddenly the lights just went on and you just believe. You see, God did all this incredible stuff in the background to make that even possible in the first place. And so this is what we've been talking about. And the reason it's so important, the reason it's so important to talk about salvation and all that God's done for us is because I think all too often we just sort of say, yeah, I'm saved, that's cool, man. Isn't that great? And we're kind of semi-halfway excited sometimes. But man, wouldn't it be an amazing thing to realize all that God has done, all that it cost him, all that went into it, so that we'll fully appreciate what he's done, I think that'll light our hearts on fire as worshipers, I think it'll change the way that we make decisions day to day when we really see all that God's done in our lives, and I think it'll make us really care for people who don't know him, because we'll, we'll realize, wow, God's done so much in me and for me, how can I keep this to myself? So I think it's a big deal that we talk about what we're talking about leading up to Christmas here as we talk about salvation. Last week, we kind of started at the, at the beginning, and we said this, we said that you're saved, because God chose you and enabled you to choose him. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to check that out online because it's a a powerful starting point that God has done some amazing things. And we're gonna see some interesting things tonight that kind of go a little bit along with what we talked about last week because tonight I wanna talk with you about sort of this intimidating word and we're not gonna all know what it means when it first goes up on the screen, but it's this word regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration, it's it's another step. It's another thing that God does in our lives to save us. Now, before you tune out on me, what I want you to know is, is the definition. This is what regeneration means. It's really simple and it's really beautiful. It means this. It means to restore life, to bring life back from death. To restore life. See, here's the thing. In your life and in my life, we didn't just pray a prayer one day. And that was it. God actually brought our dead hearts back to life. God actually did something in us that was incredible and amazing and completely behind the scenes that we might not have even realized he was doing. And and what's incredible is that we didn't realize how badly we needed him to do this for us. Um, When I was a kid, probably literally, I don't even know, 20, not even, probably 30 years ago, Thanksgiving weekend, right? Where Together with my family, we used to go out to Pennsylvania and hick country, God help us. And uh, if you're in Pennsylvania, I'm sorry. Uh, I love y'all. Um, just don't kill me with your weird hickness. Anyway, um, so we went out to hick country out there. And, and, and my family's great, but they really are hicks out there. And so we would kind of get the whole family. It was probably like 40, 40 or 50 people together in this church basement. And it was just this nasty, scary old church basement. And, and um, it was a cement floor, you know. And so I'm this like three or four-year-old little kid And I'm sitting up on a table and I'm kind of just pushing myself backwards on the table. I don't remember this, but this is what they tell me. Pushing myself backwards. And before I even knew it, I had fallen off backwards off the table, upside down, heading for the floor. Now my aunt, who must be like Spider Woman or something, like dove across the mashed potatoes and the cranberry sauce and caught me before I hit the ground, okay? And you know what? I had no idea as I was falling backward over, that I was headed for death. I mean, possibly, I don't know. But I had no idea, at at, at the very least, that I needed to be caught, that I needed help, that I needed someone to rescue me. And so as I fell, suddenly these arms were there and just caught me and saved me from what was headed my way. And you know what? The same is true of us. As as we enter life, as we kind of walk through life, we have no idea how badly we need to be saved. We have no idea how badly we need to be rescued, how how badly we need regeneration to be brought back from death. Tonight I wanna share with you a few reasons why, why we don't know this, right? See, there's some huge problems. Before you and I become Christians, there are some incredible problems that we just simply can't work out on our own. And I wanna talk with you about a few of these tonight as we look at a few verses together. And the first one is this, it's that we hated God. We hated God. The second one is this, we were dead in our sin. And the third one is this, we hated what was right. Now I know it sounds like a depressing message, but about halfway through, we're gonna hit a real great turning point. But the first one, let's talk about this, because this is, this is so powerful, this is so powerful. When you start, suddenly start to realize all that God's done, when you realize, you hated God. It wasn't like you liked him and were chasing after him. Like, oh God, please save me. Like you and I, we absolutely hated God. We weren't looking for him. We didn't want him. And so it's incredible that there was this turning point. There was this thing going on in our hearts and our lives that suddenly maybe we did want God. W- w- what happened there? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. And maybe you're not a Christian tonight and you're going, well, I, honest, honestly, I-, I don't want God. I'm here because my friend brought me or whatever, but, you know, I don't want God. Well, maybe tonight as we talk, as we see all that Jesus has done for us, that will change in your mind and heart. And so let's look at Romans chapter eight. We're gonna look at Romans eight and then Ephesians two tonight, all right? So Romans chapter eight, let's, let's look at this. And this is some interesting stuff here. Romans eight, five says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So it's like, okay, there's these two groups of people. Some of them are living for God, some of them aren't. But look at what happens here. Verse 6, the mind of sinful man, which all of us were. Paul's going to tell us that in a minute in Ephesians. The the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Look look at verse 7. The sinful mind is hostile to God. So so when you're aren't saved, when you aren't his, your, your mind is actually hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor, look what it says, nor can it do so. So it's not like, here you are in your sin, here I am in my sin, stuck in my sin, apart from God, not knowing God, suddenly going, you know, what? I'm gonna start doing the right thing and really please him. It says, no, 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 you're, you're enemies with God, you're, you're hostile, and you can't. Please, God's law. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So there's this huge problem. You know, I don't know if you, if you understood this or not, but when you grew up, like, you didn't love God. You didn't want God up front. I mean, maybe you can remember having a desire to be close to God from the time you were real little or something like that, and you're gonna see tonight that's simply because God was doing that in you. God was drawing you to himself. Because the truth is, is, that on our own, we're just enemies of God. I don't know if you ever had an arch enemy. My son, Cade, who's seven, played soccer this past year, and he did great, but very quickly, we found out that he had an arch enemy on one of the other teams, it was this kid, Joel. And this kid, Joel, is ridiculous. I mean, this is like a seven-year-old league, and this kid played like a 15-year-old. I mean, I swear, he, he was like, just hitting every corner of the net. I mean, just he could raise it up over all the kids' heads. And I mean, every time we played Joel, it was like we got killed by like, about four or five goals because he just kept scoring. And so we very quickly started telling the kids on our team, yo, break Joel's legs. No, I'm sorry, we didn't say that. We very, did <laughs> I say that out loud? Dang it. Um, no, we started saying, take the ball away from Joel. Double-team Joel. Whatever you got to do, man, get in his way. Don't let him by. Get on Joel right, and so Joel kept beating us, but then Joel, Joel took it up a notch, right, because one day we had a doubleheader, so Cade's team played Joel's team, and it kept, of course, Joel's team won again, scored like five goals again, and and so then though, we went into the second game, and Cade's team's doing well, they're winning that game, and, and as my family's there, it's a nice Saturday, and Bryn and Landon are off playing on the swing set, suddenly I I start to realize something. I, I, I turn around, and, and I see Joel making eyes at Brynn. like, this kid doesn't know what he's in for, man. <laughs> First, he's killing my kid on the soccer field, man, and, and, and totally beating us, and now he's going after my daughter, you know? Right? All I got to say is he's not going to be scoring many goals for long, all right? There's going to be issues, Right? But it, immediately it was kind of like, oh man, and, and, and I was kind of helping out with the coaching, and so I'd be over by the net, you know, and, and i all right, Joel's out I mean, literally, if Joel was on that field, I was on him, and I had, I had his radar, I was radar for Joel, and, and so he just kind of became the arch enemy of, enemy of our, he's probably a sweet kid, poor little guy, you know, but he's epically good, so he becomes our enemy. So uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but, but in life, I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but in life, I mean, who do you, I mean, we're not supposed to hate anybody, you know, I mean, that's, that's a whole other message, right? But who, whose name right now? If someone were to say it out loud, you'd be like, oh, I I can't stand that person. I hate that person. Or maybe you wouldn't even say hate because you're you're really trying to let it go. You're trying to honor God. but, But still you would say, oh, when I hear that name. And you know what? Magnify that by a billion. And that was our attitude toward God. He was our arch enemy. He was the one that we were hostile toward. And so if you're thinking that you walked into a church service one day and just decided, I guess I'm gonna be a Christian today and you prayed a prayer, I'll just tell you that scripture makes it pretty clear that that doesn't just happen. That you're hostile toward him and he's gotta do something about that in order to pull you out of that. The second problem is that, as my water bottle falls, is that we were dead in our sin. We were dead in our sin. So, okay, so we're hostile toward God, but also we're dead in our sin. Ephesians 2, verse one. As for you, I mean, I don't know how you say it any clearer. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. Right, we've all been to funerals. Right, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm just making a very clear observation. We've all been to funerals. What, what does the dead person do at the funeral? Nothing, nothing because they're dead. They're not choosing, they're not deciding, they're not sitting up, they're not turning over, they're not laying down, they're not talking. They're dead, they can't do anything else. And so we were dead in our sin. And again, a dead man can't choose. A dead man can't decide. A dead man can't chase after. And so if you and I were dead in our sin, then man, somebody outside of us had to do something to us so that we weren't dead anymore. There was a man in London recently who in about 14 degree weather fell and hit his head and was laying out in the street. And eventually they got a hosp- or an ambulance there, brought him to the hospital, and on the way he had cardiac arrest. And when he got inside, he had no pulse and no heartbeat. They were too late. This man that he said, what can he do to save himself? What can he do to help himself? Nothing in that moment. He needs something or someone outside himself to rescue him. And that's the perfect picture of you and I. Another problem, we hated what was good. If you just look at the next verse in Ephesians, the first verse says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The second verse says, in which you used to live, when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen to verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So what's, the, what's another problem here? Is that we didn't want what was good. Again, this goes back to there wasn't this thing in us that was like, ah, I really want to do good, I really want to be good. No, we really didn't want to do good. We really didn't want to be good. We were enemies of what was good. And so again, are, are you seeing like, I guess today what I really want you to see, I know it sounds depressing up front, but the second half will get real cheery. I want you to see your lostness. I want, I want me to see my lostness and how far from being able to really do anything about my own sin and my own struggle, my own brokenness. I really am. There's nothing I can do. I can't, you know, love God. I can't even please God. I can't decide I'm gonna do something that's gonna honor him because he's my enemy at this point. And I don't wanna do what's right. And I'm dead in my sin. And so, as we're at this point, man, it's just like, wow, well, well then, if I hate what's good, then, then what am I even able to do to get out of that? Nothing. My daughter Brynn is really sweet. She's five and she will do anything for anybody. Um, when, when somebody gets hurt in our house, Brynn in instantly disappears and she comes back with a packet of wet paper towels because she thinks that cures everything. And so she comes back with the wet paper towels, you know. And I'm like, yeah, son, I just severed my limb. I'll, let me put the paper towels on there. Thank you. Or toilet paper on there. Thank you, you know. But there's also this side to Ren. And she is the sweetest thing, and that's her 95% of the time. But man, when she gets in trouble or when she feels like she disappointed you, then suddenly there's this whole other side to my cute little girl. And suddenly she comes out, and it's like she hates what is good, and she suddenly turns into, like, a 17-year-old girl, not the, nothing against 17-year-old girls, but what, uh, what I'm guessing my 17-year-old girl will be, and so, I'm just, like, you, I'm just looking at her like, you're not five right now, like, who are you? She, she literally got in trouble a little while back, and she said to Kelly, why don't you come over here and try being a mother, right? <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, all right? I, I just instantly hit my knees. I'm like, Lord fast for the next 20 years, I just, right, you know, she'll get in trouble, and she said to me, you never ever want me to talk to you again, do you, you know, I mean, just this stuff that comes out, you're like, what is going on, and suddenly it's like, I mean, here's this sweet, caring, loving little girl who suddenly hates what is good, and, and hates what is right, and, and I mean, she will just, I mean, smile at you, laugh with you, She'll cuddle with you. I mean, she'll give me a, she'll jump on the couch and just go, move up. I'm gonna give you a back massage. I mean, she just, you know, start massaging. My, I mean, she's such a sweetheart. But suddenly it's like, man, she hates what is good. And that's, that's what we, that's what we were. That's where we were stuck. I have a friend who was giving his, his little daughter a bath and she scooped up some water and she dumped it out of the tub. And he said to her, Emily, don't do that again. And so she scooped up a cup and held it over and she said, what will you do to me? And, and he told her and she thought about it for a second and then went, whoop, and then spilled it all over the floor. And again, that's, that's us. It's all right, I, I, I'd be, I mean, almost, it's like, it's like we were saying, I'd be willing to just pay for that. Okay, God, I, I hear what you want me to do, but I'd be willing to just do what I want to do and then just pay for it if that's what you want because you're my enemy and because... I'm dead in my and because I'm a, I hate what's good. And so that's where we were. I mean, are you seeing this, guys? I just want us to see this tonight. How lost we really were. We didn't walk into a church one day and God looked down on us and said, there is one who truly does love me and truly isn't my enemy. And no, no, no. See, the only way any of that ever happens is what we're about to read here. It says here in the end of verse three, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. There was a time, every one of us, we were an object of God's wrath. In other words, his wrath was going to end up on us because of our sin. And then verse four, here we go. Everyone take a deep breath, verse four. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And this is so important. When did he make us alive with Christ? Even when we were dead in transgressions. Did you guys see that? It doesn't say we cleaned ourselves up and then he looked at us and said, all right, now that you're kind of like getting things together, I'll accept you. No, when we were dead in our transgressions. Again, what can a dead person do? What can a dead person choose? Who can a dead person pursue? Nothing and no one. And so he's saying then, Paul's saying, look, that's when, at that place in your life, that's when God came in his rich mercy and made you alive. You guys see that? You and I, we were dead, our hearts were dead, we didn't want God, and he made us alive while we were stuck in all of that. And then look at the next several verses, and we'll just read through this section together. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is the gift of God. So he's even saying the faith you have to believe isn't even your own. It's a gift that I've given you. Verse 9. Not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, awesome. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So man, there's all this terrible news. You hate God, you're dead in your sin, and you hate what is good. And then there's this beautiful three-letter word, but God is rich in mercy and in our deadness. When we couldn't and wouldn't Choose him, approach him, desire him. He made us alive. Regenerated. Bringing our dead heart to life. Mark Driscoll says this, regeneration is taking out the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. It's not a perfect heart. It's a heart that desires God. That's the difference. Before you didn't desire God. Now, You desire God. What accompanies that heart are new desires. So not only do you now desire God, not only are you no longer stuck in your sin, but now you also desire to do what is right. And that's what many of you have experienced. And we're still in a battle. It doesn't mean we, every moment of every day, it's just like I'm never tempted anymore. Of course we're tempted. Jesus was tempted and yet perfect, right? Of course we have up days and down days. Of course we struggle sometimes. But what regeneration has done is it has taken our dead heart, it's brought it to life, and it's made our hearts now want God and want to do the things God desires us to do. Of course, we don't do them perfectly this side of heaven. But yes, more and more in our lives, isn't it true, guys, in your lives, as you've grown in your relationship with Jesus, that now suddenly, more and more, you really want to do what he wants you to do. I mean, some of you guys have done crazy things for God. I mean, here's Seth Fowler, right? Traveling around the world for Jesus. I mean, two years ago, the guy all he could think about was playing guitar and basketball. And now he's like going to all these incredible places. And as he told us back in the fall, I mean, standing up in front of a bunch of Buddhist monks and sharing the gospel. Because God made his heart alive. I know that sounds real big. And we're like, oh man, well maybe I'm not saved then because I don't want to go talk to Buddhist monks. Well, you know what? That's all right, maybe... It's just the desire you had to be here tonight. Maybe it's the desire you had during worship to actually be near Jesus. Maybe it's how you ended a relationship because you knew it wasn't what God had for you. Maybe it's how you've changed how you treat your parents or your spouse or your kids because of the relationship you have with God. And one of the most fun things about my job is seeing that happen is seeing people change. is, I mean, I could go around the room. I'm not gonna, you all get nervous. Right? But I could go around the room and I could, I could start to say, you know what? I remember when you used to be like this and you could do that to me too. You could look back at Doug. I remember when I first met you, man, you were this, you were that. And, and man, it's an amazing to see all that God's done in us. And it's simply because he's brought our dead heart back to life. And so I want you to know tonight that you're saved. Because God brought your dead heart back to life. That's what regeneration is. Yes, like we talked about last week, you made a real choice. You you accepted him in your heart for real. You're not a robot. Again, it's a, a real detailed message. Go back and check out last week if you missed it. However, the first thing that happens, the thing that happens before you make the choice is that he brings your dead heart back to life. He chooses you and brings your heart to life. And so God sent Jesus to make us alive in him. So rather than punish you, Jesus came and received all of God's wrath on our behalf. Isn't that incredible? That's salvation. That's salvation. But wait, Doug, you just said, I hated God. Yeah, that's when Jesus came for you. But you said, I was dead in my sin. Yeah, that, that's when he did it. That he came for you when every one of us was simply stuck in our sin. You said, I hated what was good. Yeah, he came then to open up our eyes and to show us who he is. And so you're saved tonight because God brought your dead heart back to life. Remember that man from London who fell and hit his head? Well, I didn't tell you the end of the story. You see, he arrived at the hospital and his heart had stopped and his pulse had stopped and it, had, it stopped for three and a half hours. And he's laying there, helpless, unable to jumpstart his heart, unable to do anything. But they put him on a machine that performed 20,000 chest compressions on him over those three and a half hours. And after those three and a half hours, his heart came back to life. And he was able to stand and talk with a reporter and say, I was saved. This is a miracle. And you know what? The same is true of you. Your heart, my heart was dead. Hating God, stuck in our sin, hating what was good. And he performed not 20,000, but one, one act. One day when Jesus was crushed and brought back to life and you and I were rescued. And so I don't know about you, but that makes me more and more appreciate my salvation. That makes me not wanna be like the umbrella guy in the beginning of the story who was just kinda of thrown to the side and, and just handed something like, yeah, hey, here. But it makes me wanna go, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? While I hated you, and while I was dead and stuck and couldn't do anything for myself, and while I hated everything that's good, you did this for me. That's what he's done. That makes me wanna be a worshiper. That makes me wanna be a better dad. That makes me wanna read my Bible. That makes me wanna pray. That makes me wanna tell people about him. It makes me wanna be careful what kind of entertainment I watch. It makes me wanna be careful how I interact with people that I actually am loving and kind. You see, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, it begins to change every aspect of your life. And there might be some of you guys who have been stuck in sin patterns or broken relationships and all kinds of stuff. And you know what? Counseling's great and sometimes that's needed, but maybe for some of you in the room tonight, the one answer is that you realize all that God did for you. You realize all it took him to save you. And everything might just click from there. To realize that you and I, we should just simply be dead. But instead, if we're saved tonight, it's because he brought our dead hearts back to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for doing what you've done in us. Thank you, God, for coming for your enemies, for coming for those who hated you, hated what was right, and were stuck and dead in our sin. And we just thank you, God, that you still went through with it. You still decided to come and to do such amazing things. And I just pray we'll get it tonight. I pray that we'll understand what your word says and how clearly it paints this. And so, God, we thank you so much. And we want to worship now as people who should be dead but are alive. God, we want to Reach out to our neighbors, our classmates tomorrow, our, co- our coworkers tomorrow, our family, as people who should be dead but are alive. I can only imagine that man from London. he must have lived a different life, life after he was brought back. And, and that should be true of us, too. We've got to live a different life. So Lord, help us. Help us, God. Help us to our, our, our entertainment choices to be fueled by what you've done help the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we treat our parents and our spouses and our kids. Let let salvation affect all of that. If you're a Christian, would you just spend some time thanking God for what he's done for you? And if you're not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Because maybe you well, I've been talking tonight, or maybe it was even before I ever got on the stage and the band was just playing, or maybe it was just on the way here, maybe God's been doing this, you, this in you lately, or whatever it might be. You just feel like, man, I get this. I, I, you feel like it's true. You feel like there's really a God, a, a Jesus who died for you and rose again to take your punishment. And if that's true, if you're believing that right now, then it's because he's bringing your dead heart to life. And there's nothing like it. And now it's your turn to respond. Now it's your turn to begin a conversation with him and thank him for what he's doing in your life and call on him to be your savior and forgive you of your sin. And so I'd love to just give you some words. You don't have to say everything I say because really this is really about a conversation between you and him. But you could say something like this if you want to tonight. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for bringing my dead heart back to life. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I don't have to walk around in guilt or shame or fear anymore. I pray you'll help me to see how real you are and help me to live a life of love towards you. I thank you I'll be with you in heaven someday in this incredible gift that you have given me tonight, amen.